This is Eric. <laughs> Eric Benford. I go to a lot of movies. It's my thing. <laughs> you know what I do to squeeze? <laughs> Why don't you live in the real world with the rest of us? If you're so smart, Stella, tell me what James Cagney's name was in White Heat. Benford is he's sick in the head. He's like retarded or something. Here's to us. Top of the world. I'm a great admirer. I just wanted to meet you. Happy birthday to you. I once went to three movies every day for a year, and I never missed once. I can't picture the creature who'd want to marry you. Tell me, who is this unlucky girl? Marilyn Monroe. Remember, you, you picked me up hitchhiking. I, I gave you the whole idea for my movie. I've never heard of you. Huh? Cut it, Bill! Dear Eric. What are you looking at, you creep? But you didn't know what Adolf Hitler's favorite movie was. Broadway Melody, I bet you didn't know that. But what about Cry of Battle and War as Hell? Where were they playing, huh? Eric Benford lives for the movies. Sometimes he kills for them, too. Dennis Christopher, star of Breaking Away creates an unforgettable portrait of life on the edge of terror. <laughs> Fade to black. Introducing Eric Benford. Happy birthday, sucker. <laughs> Star of the silver screen. Master of Disguise. Well, I think he's calling you out. Hopalong Cassidy. Oh, look at this. Minister of Horror. Now in the ultimate performance of murder. This is it. It's Hollywood. Radio Drome. Welcome to another Thursday night in October. This is Radio Drome with myself, Josh Hadley, with Alex, the little pixie panty sniffer stealer Jowski. It's not stealing if they don't know it's gone. Ah, Republican logic. And we also have Cecil. Yes, apparently. I would ask one of you do to, to one of you two to do the Adam and Eve promo. But do you remember what the new Adam and Eve promo is, or do I have to do it? It's a bunch of shit. I don't know what it is. It's like, use it and you get the site. 
It's like you, free five free DVDs and all right, a, you're tu- already a tug it job under the table. All right, you use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. You get and 10 you get free you get 10 job. free gifts. You get six free DVDs, a special gift for him, a special gift for her, a special gift you'll both enjoy and free US shipping. All for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. 10 free items. That's just fantastic. That's tricks and treats since it's October. A gift for her, a gift for him, and something special for the kids. <laughs> well, tonight we're going to talk about the Forgotten Slashers. Now, we've talked many times about the rise of the slasher boom, the fall of the slasher boom, and whatnot. What we haven't talked about is really the fact that it was a boom. In 1980, there were 11 slasher movies made. In 1981, there were 97 slasher movies made. In 1982, there were 111 slasher movies made. That's a hell of an increase. So there's no way that we've, we can really focus on all of the movies in the slasher boom. But there's a lot of these interesting ones. We all know the mainstream, for lack of a better term, slasher movies. There are so many interesting forgotten slashers out there. Why do you think so many of these stayed off the radar? Do you think it was just market saturation that you go from 11 to 97 in a year that just the audience cannot keep up with them? Do you think in the age of the internet, a lot of these should have been rediscovered by this point and shouldn't be as forgotten as they are? Yeah, it's it's funny because uh, there are so many things that are being discovered, uh, but usually uh, it ends up being discovered because it's awful. Like there's a lot of really bad old VHS movies that people are uploading to YouTube and they're going viral because, oh, my God, look at how horrible this is. It's a shame because uh, there are a lot of older slashers that are just overlooked. They're not quite getting that recognition. Now, granted, at least it's not that they're getting bad recognition. They're just not getting any. I guess one of the cool things is you've got Shout slash Scream Factory that has been doing a really bang up job of bringing back a lot of these old like forgotten movies and cleaning them up and putting them on Blu-ray and having them look, you know, as better than they ever have Um, stuff like without warning. And we've got squirm coming up pretty soon movies that previously people would really only know from like mystery science theater, but now they're seeing them restored and seeing how cool they really are. Now, granted those aren't slasher movies, but I'm just talking about, you know, movies in general. I'm going to say without warning is actually on my list of a forgotten slasher. It's an alien slasher. It, it, it well, it's a predator prototype. It's, really. Yeah, exactly. It's predator. <laughs> Kevin Peter Hulk is a giant blue alien that comes down, slashes a whole bunch of teenagers, including a David, including then unknown David Caruso, and a whole bunch of adults, and starts taking them as trophies. It's a slasher movie. It's just a space one. Well, they remain undiscovered because they weren't popular enough at the time to pick up traction. You know, Friday the 13th and stuff, those were popular. So those got sequels. People remember those. People watch those. The forgotten ones, they came out. A few people watched them. Some liked them. Some hated them. And then they just faded into obscurity. So they just didn't get the traction at the time to become popular. And some people have gone back and found them. And see – I look at it more as a lot of these got just got lost in the shuffle. They got lost in the static, for lack of a pun. That there were, I mean, when you go from having 11 slasher movies in 1980 
to 97 in 1981. That's the very definition of market saturation. I don't know anybody, since this is the age before these things would come out on video in any kind of reasonable time frame, since video was in its, in its infancy too, I don't know anybody who would have been able to see all 97 slasher films that came out in 1981, even if they knew that, that they existed from Fangoria or other horror movie magazines at the time. There were just too many. It's like the direct-to-video market today. There are just so many DTV horror movies that come out, you can't possibly even be aware of all of them. I think that's what the problem was. It was everyone wanted in on this market, and nobody cared about quality. Because a lot of these movies, yeah, I'm going to say it, they're not very well made. They're not very memorable. There's, there are some that are. There are some that I will praise and say, people really should have paid more attention to this. I think most of them are like, it had its moments. Like, I, like we've said in previous episodes, this, this was the, the first two years of the slasher movie boom was the you-can-do-anything. That you put 500000 to $750,000 in a slasher flick, you shoot it up in Canada in three weeks, you release it the next week, you make a million dollars opening weekend. These were like printing money. That's why they were so popular, and that's why the boom happened the way it did. So clearly there was still enough people seeing them, because it wasn't until 1983 that a single one of these slasher movies reported a loss from its budget. That there were still people going to see them, you just couldn't see all of them. So what is your pick for the best forgotten slasher that you would like people to recognize more? I had one up, Pieces. I love Pieces. I love it to yes. pieces. Would, would, would you that, buy it some Reese's? Well, my friends and I rented it. We're like, oh, look, it's a chainsaw slasher movie, and we were into those. And watched it, and it's just so – the kills are great. It's got a story that's a obvious mystery. I mean there, there's no attempt Oh, my to God. Edwin Perdom is the killer? <laughs> no. Yeah. The thing that sticks out the most for me is when this one girl is trying to escape and she's running through like the locker room and she pisses herself. I'd never really seen that in a slasher movie. And like this woman is scared. She's not acting scared because she just pissed all over her leg. Uh, it's a tough one, uh, but uh, I'm going to go with uh, the Prowler. It's vicious. It's brutal. There's a good mystery there. It's it's well shot. It's very creepy. Up until recently, it's very hard to get a hold of, but it was uh, finally released on DVD. But uh, still, just a lot of people don't know about it. It's it's, it's just a cool movie. Um, Pieces is a great pick, though. I I mean that. Uh, I mean that's. I know. <laughs> I know uh, you'll probably hate it, but it's uh, Eli Roth's favorite movie. But, but the problem's good. It's Tom Savini's some of his best work. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the, 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 the shotgun blast. I remember the, the shower scene. Because oh, with he, the pitchfork. The, the Prowler kills everybody with a pitchfork in the movie. And just the brutality of it struck me as, you know, this is the era I'm watching Friday the 13th movies and stuff. And yeah, they kill people, but it, it didn't seem real. For some reason, that seemed more real. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, because it was freaking Savini. It uh, it it was shot in a way that yeah, the, the, it did feel real because the one in the shower where he he gets her with the pitchfork 
and he picks her up and the way that they shot it like she was like lifting up and it it just yeah it it was like oh like you could feel how painful it was and yeah it was just such a vicious movie for whatever reason it just you know came out at the wrong time or wasn't really pumped up as enough and you know not a recognizable name uh, like my bloody valentine is pretty well known but um i don't know yeah the prowler just uh didn't really ever get that quant- kind of recognition and my pick is going to be a stranger one because it's going to fall outside of the slasher boom 1986's return to horror high which i think is a criminally underrated horror movie for one thing it's not a sequel despite its title which is I realize a lot of people that throws them off, especially because there is a movie from 1974 called Horror High. So you would think this is a sequel to the 1974 movie, but it's not. This is a movie about the inside of Hollywood trying to make a movie about a slaughter at a high school called Horror High. And it's a comedy about the filmmaking being disrupted by a killer. So it's a slasher movie, meta-Hollywood movie, and it's the movie that George Clooney wants you to forget. This was his screen debut, and he doesn't like it at all. He plays a security guard in the movie. Let's put it this way. He doesn't try and knock Return of the Killer Tomatoes off of his resume. He tries to knock Return to Horror High off of his resume. F*** you, Clooney. This is a good movie. It's funny, it's creepy, it's scary, and it, while not being the first plays against genre conventions because it knows its audience is people who know slasher movies. So yes, before Scream, there was Return to Horror High. And before Return to Horror High, there was Student Bodies. Scream, you're unoriginal! And before Scream, there was There's Nothing Out There. There's Nothing Out There, which was... I'm sick of just seeing how... Oh, Scream, it reinvented the slasher movie! Oh, yeah, and those five movies before Scream that did the exact same thing. Unoriginal tripe. But uh, I'm not here to bitch about Scream. I didn't much care for it. Really? I hate, I hate movie meta shit. I hate it in anything. I, I love it's, movies that make fun of making movies. I've always been drawn to I don't like that. It's like, it's a movie about movie, and they're making movie in the movie. I just do not like the meta stuff. And I didn't like the comedy in it. It didn't seem that funny to me. Maybe you had to see it in 1986 like I did. Yeah, maybe, Grandpa. I've, I've made a list of some of the other movies. Some of these are from the initial slasher boom, and some of these are weird ones that came after the fact. For instance, like Hell High. Joe Bob Briggs says this film would have been more well-remembered if it didn't come out five years after the slasher boom collapsed in upon itself. And he's probably right. It's quite a good film. Oh, there's plenty of good ones that came out too late. Yeah, in 1988, Hell High had no chance of making it. In 1983, it did. It came out five years too late. But then you, you've got you've got some of the weirder ones. Now, some of these, I, I've seen a lot of different horror movie sites trying to declassify these. Well, that's not a slasher movie because of this. That's not a slasher movie because of this. Like John Carpenter's The Fog. That's a slasher movie. Yes, it's about ghosts, but they're slashing people. They're slashing everyone they run across. The Fog is a slasher movie. Or, Cecil, tell us about Death Spa. <laughs> ah, Death Spa. The weird, it's a, it's a ghost slasher. So um, is The Fog. So is The Fog, yes. 
the uh, well, the well, they might be wraiths, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, they're, they're the, lepers. They're lep. Yes, they were lepers that they crashed because they uh, they turned the lighthouse off. And so uh, I yeah. wonder if if you have leper ghosts, then do they do they really know what phantom limb syndrome is? But um, tish. <laughs> lepers. I thought you were saying leopards. Ghost leopards would be an awesome movie. I really would. Get Asylum on the horn. Oh, Despot's great. Despot actually. Uh, you know what? I still got to pick up that Blu-ray. But uh, yeah, Despa is is just it's such a great movie because it, it, it takes the 80s slasher and puts it in a place that was quintessentially 80s, which was the health spa, where in the 80s, everyone would uh, go and, uh, you know, they uh, would, I got they... to see Chelsea Fields rack. Oh, yeah. Well, no, it was actually it wasn't even her. It was uh, it was a, it was a body double. All right, I got to see Chelsea Fields' characters rack. Character, yeah, I got to see Chelsea Fields' character rack because I, as far as I know, she has never done a nude scene, which is a bummer. I always because... like Chelsea Fields, yet she always plays a ball-busting bitch in everything I've seen. But yeah, I've always, I've always dug her. I, I've always uh, really enjoyed her work. Thought she never really got enough credit. But not to talk about Chelsea Fields, but uh, that spa, you've got people being killed with all kinds of high-tech equipment from the gymnasium and you know girl getting boiled to death inside of a um spa and a sauna thank you uh people being impaled with various uh you know exercise equipment that'll teach your ass to exercise boy yeah you know the the somehow the one that always gets me is chelsea fields goes up to 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 jump off of the high dive and somehow like the com- the ghost that's inside of the computer manages to unscrew the, the high dive so that that's she, how like, that works exactly the hell it works sure but uh it's such a it's such a fun like silly movie and uh really good violence the one when when the 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 girl goes into the bathroom and the mirror explodes she just it gets eviscerated by glass. It's such a good effect. I'm actually really looking forward to getting the Blu-ray so I can see it because it was only on VHS and I reviewed it a while ago and, and it was just, it was muddy and dark. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing a cleaned up print of it. But yeah, Despa, very forgotten, but a ton of fun. There's, there's lots of holiday ones. The slasher movie boom loved holidays. It didn't matter what the holiday was. You had stuff like new year's evil, new year's evil, it's actually not a great flick. It's a canon film. It's not a great movie, but I love the premise that a punk rock live radio show gets a call in from a serial killer on New Year's Eve that he's going to kill somebody in every time zone at the stroke of midnight. That's just so stupid. It's interesting, isn't it? It's intriguing. Yeah, but it's stupid, too, isn't it? Well, conceivably, you could because in every time zone, somebody is bound to die on New Year's. And you could just say, I did that. Yeah, I did. Totally. It was me. For holidays, you got Christmas Evil. I mean, everyone knows Silent Night, Deadly Night. That's the famous one. Christmas Evil is a fantastic... I don't even really call this one a slasher film so much as this This qualifies as psychological thriller. I know you've seen this, Alex. Christmas Evil is much more psychological than it is slashy, isn't it? It is. Christmas Evil is good, actually. I liked it. With the most bizarre, you'll never see this coming ever ending of all time. Classic ending. Christmas Evil 
it's John Waters' favorite movie. He actually did uh, the commentary on the DVD. I and... need to get that DVD then. Oh, you've never oh, seen that one, Alex? It's I know. awesome. It's movie. I've heard him speak of it before, but the commentary track is him? Ah, I need this. Yeah, the commentary track is him. He just, he talks about how much he loves it and how much like he's, you know, shows people stuff. And he, he really is well-versed on the movie. It's and a subversive movie too. Really? It is. is because it's like you said, it's not a slasher movie. It's totally, there is meant- slashing in it. Right. And, and if you look at the trailer, that's how it's sold. They, I think they missold this movie, honestly. Well, he actually, uh, the director spent, uh, like 20 years trying to uh, save up enough money to buy the rights of the movie back so he could re-release it under its original title and clean it up and, and you know, kind of give it the, the recognition it served. And so the DVD is uh, is out there. It's it's under Christmas. Trauma Evil. had it for a while. Trauma had it as Christmas Evil, but you can pick it up. Uh, oh, God, I'm forgetting what the original title Terror of it is. Terror in Toyland or something? No, 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 no. Um, you better watch out. You better watch out was the original title. But uh, yeah, when the studio, uh, he sold it to the studio at the time. He didn't want to, but he had to. And then they changed it to Christmas Evil and they kind of sold it as a slasher movie. And he's like, it's not really a slasher movie. Brendan Maggart, who was the lead in it, is Fiona Apple's father. Well, and then you've, you've got some other ones that I, will, I specifically want to highlight here. You've got, I mean, in 1981, the slasher movie boom was pretty much just starting and you had student bodies a film that was making fun of the slasher movie boom in a very much zucker brothers manner student bodies does still qualify as a slasher movie though but it's a straight out parody of slasher movies and you've got one i know alex you'll want to talk about this how april fool's day was completely ignored and how the ending was called a cop-out in its original release I enjoy April Fool's Day. It's another one that came out too late because it was 1986. But it's got um oh what's her face? Isn't it Amy Steele from Friday the yes. 13th too? Amy Steele, that's who it is. It's a great movie. The kills are okay. It's slow paced as far as slasher goes. It's got characters that are just that are beyond tropes. It's got a really good story, and the ending's not that much of a cop-out because it i don't think it's a cop-out at all it's kind of built up there's another movie that came out in the the 2000s also called april fool's day not a remake at all it's just another movie called april fool's day and it's totally shitty. and it always seems to get listed as one of the worst remakes and i'm yes. like it's not a remake did you people even <laughs> watch this movie i mean it's not a good movie at all but it's like it's not a remake it it has Nothing at all to do with this except for the name. Well, Cecil, do you think the ending is a cop-out? Because a lot of the reviews at the time, when April Fool's Day first came out in 86, they were disappointed by the ending. The ending is no one actually gets killed. The ending is it's all an April Fool's Day joke. And in the movie, there are hints at this. You don't actually see any characters killed on screen. The camera always cuts away before a character gets killed. Now, at the time, you're probably thinking, oh, that's just the MPAA censoring the hell out of this. Then when the ending's revealed, you go, ah, that was good. No, there's sometimes you see dead bodies, and then at the end, they're like, it's just makeup. See, I got this latex. Ha ha. 
but you don't see any kills. No, you don't point. see you don't they, see a knife puncture flesh. They did it in a way that it didn't feel like a cop out, so you didn't get suspicious. Because there's some movies where uh, they do the cutaway from the violence, and it's so bad you're just like oh just show the kill already but with april fool's day they really were clever with the way that they shot it so that it didn't feel like you were getting gypped so you had no idea that it was going in this direction i never felt that the ending was a cop-out because that was back from when there were a lot of slashers that were very straightforward here's the killer he's killing people he's revealed in the end that's it so you're watching this and They're going through the motions very intelligently because it's like they're showing your character tropes and you're expecting, okay, this one's going to die. This one's going to die. But then it's all for a reason. And then when they do reveal who, you know, they're going through this mystery, they find out who the killer is. You're like, oh, that's the killer. And then when they finally do reveal what it all is, that makes it all the much better because it's like, holy shit, I did not think that it was going in that direction. The whole time movie. And I liked it. And, and it was what's great. good is that the story that it was building up, the story that ended up being the April Fool's joke, was getting pretty goddamn ridiculous until they jumped out and said, fooled ya! I mean, all this stuff with, like, this sister and insane... Twins like, and all this, yeah. Yeah, that was getting really ridiculous. Which but I they, think was a play on the tropes of the slasher film. But they backloaded it in the end, too, so that it wasn't like... You know, halfway through, you found out it was it was like right at the end. It's like, oh, my God, it's this. Oh, my God, it's her twin sister. Oh, my God. Oh, we've been had. So it really like after you see it, you can kind of look back on it and be like, oh, geez. But like at the time, it happened so quickly that you weren't really thinking that much about it. You were just like, oh, shit, it's a twin sister who's a killer. And then it's like, oh, wait, no, there is no twin sister. It was all just a gag. Mm-hmm. And I love the cover, too. I always thought the cover was great. Uh, how her hair is in a her noose. Her hair is a noose. <laughs> That's awesome. And she's got the knife behind her back. Yeah. And uh, that was one of the one of the first movies where I was like, when I was like, oh, Deborah Foreman. I'm like, who's this chick? I've always liked Deborah Foreman. I've always liked Deborah Foreman, too. She's been in a lot of good stuff. Never really, like, was was, like, big, but has always been in a lot of movies that I liked. Well, and then let's dip back to 1980. I think one of the best forgotten slashers is Fade to Black. Now, Alex, you said you don't like movies that are about Hollywood. How about movies about movie fans? Fade to Black is the ultimate movie fan going overboard. Dennis Christopher is a huge fan of movies to the point where he lives his life vicariously through all the movies he watches. He works at a film warehouse who obviously worked with Empire Films a lot. Almost every Empire film from 1979 to 1981 has a poster up in their office. This could almost be an Empire film. And he's getting a lot of shit at work from from assholes and whatnot, and his over his abusive aunt, plot twist, turns out to actually be his mom. And he just cracks and decides to dress up as his favorite movie killers and get revenge on all the people who have been mean to him. I'm sorry, Fade to Black hits a little too close to home. So that's why you don't like Fade to Black? It's a little too close? No, I like it. It's good. I think it's one of the most underrated... It, it, it's, it, it is a slasher film, but like Christmas Evil, this one, it's only got four or five slashing scenes in it. This one stays inside the head of the killer, and Dennis Christopher pulls out a fantastic performance 
in Fade to Black. It's very character motivated. It's not just all the, the sc- oh, all scares all time. You know, well, and, it, and and you feel for Dennis Christopher. You almost get sympathetic towards him, which is the creepiest part. It is also one of, if not the the screen day, but of Mickey Rourke. He he's one of the assholes that works with Dennis Christopher at the film warehouse. Well, another one that I I can't even I barely can find a review of this one even online. I found this one just by picking up a twenty five cent VHS from Goodwill. City in Panic from 19, I think it's like 1986 or 1987. It's about a radio, a a shock jock kind of guy who is helping the police investigate a serial killer who is killing gay men in New York City because they are spreading AIDS. It's, It's a little bit of an uncomfortable topic one. This is not one of those ones where you can just have fun at a slasher movie. City in Panic has a message it's trying to send, and it's kind of an off-color message. Have either yeah. of you ever seen City in Panic? No, I don't think I want to. It seems uncomfortable. That'd be like finding out Jason Voorhees has cancers and it turns into like if these walls could talk or something. No, I, I have not, but um, is, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see it because, I mean, I'm sure that there's probably going to be like a pushback, I'm assuming, that, uh, you know, this this serial killer is killing gay people, but it turns out that, uh, you know, maybe he, like what he has AIDS or something. And it's it's more. I don't know. Okay, I, I'm just... I'll, 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 I'll ruin the twist. It's actually a female serial. Ki- it's actually a female killer. Oh. She, 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 had, she had a baby at, who got a blood transfusion that was tainted with AIDS. So she blames all of the fags for killing her baby. So she's oh. going to wipe the fags out of New York City. Wow. She also is obsessed with Fritz Lang's movie M. But it's a unique slasher in the fact that it's got an agenda. It's a female killer. Well, isn't that kind of the whole thing? Like, we're not supposed to be siding with the killer? Exactly. I I give it credit because there's too many. That's kind of become the new thing where we side with the killer. Where that, like, we're supposed to list like the killer. The movie also has a subplot that's saying homosexuals are people too. The cops don't care throughout the first half of the movie. It's just a dead fag. Who gives a shit? It's cruising. Yeah, it's, and then, and then as the movie progresses, they have to be kind of made to, you know what? This is a person. You know, the cops almost don't want to stop. They don't know it's a her yet. Her in the movie, because it's just fags she's killing. So it's also making a point. Gay people are people too. Wow, from all the way back in what? 86. What, yeah, 86? I, I, I remember it was right after the mid 80s, so I couldn't remember 86, 87, somewhere around there. It's it actually called, a really well made movie, too. Is it even called AIDS yet, or were they still calling it like that, that grids, that gay. The gay cancer. Uh, a news reporter does call it the gay cancer at one point in the movie. Oh, yeah. Jesus. What, what I find really funny, though, no, this is a total aside. At one point, the radio DJ is reading a copy of the then-brand-new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one. Oh, all right, I gotta get this movie now. Uh, he's that's... just reading it while he's in the booth. And I'm just like, you realize how much that, that freaking comic is worth, right? Well, now, are the Italians even got into all this. New York Ripper from Fulci, which I think is one of the most pointlessly sadistic slasher films ever made. Oh, but come on, it's about Donald Duck. Someone finally pushed Donald too far, and he <laughs> hates women and hates eyeballs. 
I know. The, the movie's it's got some great kills in it though. The, it's so full tree. It's 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 great. I like New York Ripper. And the duck voiced killer is a crack up every time these <laughs> people are scared of <laughs> the, the reason I don't like it is this one borders on just this side of sadism. Not just what's on screen. Watch the extras on the DVD. The cinematographer talks about Fulci. He was getting his aggressions against women out in this film. He said Fulci hated women. He hated them. And this film was his I hate women and I wish I could do this to women film. You see Fulci talking about vaginas. It's the death hole of terror. And, and so I find this film to be just pointlessly sadistic. Just vicious and mean, funny <laughs> at the same time. Uh, it's it's really, uh, it, it is a, a one of a kind. All right. How about, I think it's 1982's Alone in the Dark. 1982's Alone in the Dark from Jack Shoulder. Where else are you going to get Jack Palance and Martin Landau in a slasher movie and you've got Donald Pleasance splitting a man in half while upside down with a samurai sword. That that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I have. I uh, have not seen it since the 80s, but... Uh, I, I, I haven't seen it since maybe the early 90s, but I remember liking the hell out of it. That's from the director, Sad- of, director of Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And The Hidden. Meh. I what? like The Hidden. You don't like The Hidden? No, I like The Hidden, but... That's... Oh, okay. It's sad that more people know the Uwe Boll Alone in the Dark than this one. How about other ones, such as the oft-overlooked Charles Band produced The Intruder? The Intruder is awesome. Finally came out uncut this year. Okay, how about Graduation Day, or Pledge Night, or Open House, or any of these, these were right after the slasher boom, where they still were going off of this whole, we can just take a location or a premise and we kill a bunch of people. Some of these are better left forgotten. None of these, I think, are bad movies. They're just forgettable. Well, no, they really are forgettable. It's not really an insult as much as the truth. Well, the the thing is, a lot of them were made from a time when they were kind of expected to uh, to be forgettable. Like, uh, all right, we're going to make this movie quickly and dirty. Uh, it'll be out in theaters for a little while. You know, we'll get some, you know, that, that crazy VHS thing that's taken off. We'll, we'll get that into uh, homes for a while, make some money there. And then people will forget about it. They're not expecting, you know, here we are 20, 30 years later after some of these movies have come out that people are still talking about them and people are still searching for them. So uh, some of them, some of them are forgotten and they kind of deserve to be forgotten because they're just knockoffs and not really all that good. But unfortunately, some really good ones get overlooked as well. So there was a, um, 1987 film Night Screams, real bad forgotten slasher. But like the first half of the movie is just graduation day and it's people watching graduation day. And every single scene starts with graduation day and it's looking creepy. And then it zooms out and it's people watching graduation day movie was so trying to pretend to be graduation day. Well, now, what about some of the not as forgotten, but not usually brought up, like Slumber Party Massacre movies? The Slumber Party Massacre movies are slasher films. The second one's more of a Nightmare on Elm Street knockoff than anything else. But they were slasher films, and yet these don't get brought up in the same breath as Friday the 13th or whatnot. What do you think about Slumber Party Massacre, the franchise? I really enjoy the first movie. 
that's my thoughts on it. The first one's really good. I don't even think I've seen the third one. I think the second one's actually pretty good. It just goes into batshit territory. I like the Slumber Party Massacre movies because they're fun. They take themselves. I've got the box set. Do you? Sweet. I I only have uh I have one and two. Uh, I don't have the third one. It uh it kind of fixes that that need that um you know the '80s brought on. It's like all right, well we've got a bunch of girls in their late 20s trying to play girls from their early 20s and a guy with the you know with the freaking drill and then the second one it was the guitar drill and 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 yet and he was kind of a dream killer so that's why i say that one's much more of a nightmare yeah. on elm street influence than anything else yeah definitely you know influenced by nightmare on elm street but still like a mixture of nightmare on elm street and like trick or treat you know that cuz like when because didn't he, it's been a while since I've seen it, but didn't he have like, he had the really funky guitar and it had like a drill on the end of it. And he had like the big, poofy, he, he looked like, like a rock star. He looked like a rock star. thought he was Dracula or something. Yeah. Was that? Yeah. I got to go back and watch it again. They're, they're fun. I think. Uh, well, God, you've got I, the box set on the way now, apparently. I certainly do. I'm going to order this right after we, uh, we end the show. <laughs> well, then <laughs> if it's, if it's not like some obscenely overpriced thing. A lot of people do not consider this a slasher franchise. I do. Maniac Cop. Matt Cordell was absolutely a slasher, especially by the third film, where he was just killing, well, even in the first film, he was just killing anyone who got in his way. So I think Maniac Cop is absolutely a slasher franchise that most people don't consider it a slasher franchise. Oh, it's totally a slasher franchise. It it starts off, it starts off as just a, a, a regular slasher, but then with two, it turns into the supernatural slasher. And in the third but, one, it's a voodoo film. It's a voodoo film. It's Weekend at Bernie's 2, Maniac Cop. And I also like the fact that in these, they Matt Cordell is the only consistent character, but each sequel literally builds off the last one. The, the two surviving characters from the first film get killed 10 minutes into the second film. And then you've, you've got the two characters from the second film in the third film. So I do like the fact that they weren't trying to go, oh, yeah, this is just the further adventures of Matt Cordell. It was, no, there's continuity in this franchise. It's a screwed continuity, but it's continuity nonetheless. Yeah, and I'm actually, uh, I really enjoy all three of them, but, I mean, two is, is my all-time favorite. I actually saw two first, so I think that kind of factors into why I enjoy two the most. And then I went back and watched one and then watched three. Were you, and... still, were you still shocked when Bruce Campbell gets killed ten minutes into two? Oh my god, yeah. I'm like, oh, Bruce Campbell. Well, I guess we know who the hero is. Oh! No, he was the hero in the last film. And then Lori Landon, I think she doesn't die until about the 40-minute mark, but she still she still gets killed from the first film. Now, you might like these films. William Lustig hates the third film. Hates it. He was taken off of it. He shot... Okay, remember how ridiculous the second half of the third film gets? Oh, well, William yeah, Lustig well, you, didn't shoot that. Well, you can also tell that like the budget mysteriously disappeared because it's like, all right, now all of a sudden we're in a lot of hallways. William Lustig was apparently falling behind schedule and he wasn't happy with what was what you know he was turning out. Apparently, the producer had been battling him through most of the shoot, and he was eventually told, "Just stop showing up. We'll finish the movie without you." And the producer took over. That's why. That's why. Maniac Cop 3 feels like two films, because it kind of is. Because I agree with you, Maniac Cop 2 is the best film in the franchise. Oh, no, best no, no doubt. Best kills, best story. Well, I started with part three. That, that was probably why 
I'm not as into them because part three is just so batshit with its voodoo story that it was years later before I actually went and watched the rest. And the the, the, the two Bruce Campbell movies. Yes, and mostly that's why I went back and watched them because they had Bruce Campbell in them. You know, and then you've got lots of ones that are so forgettable that, like, have you, either of you ever seen 1984's The Prey? It's another one of those teenagers go go into the woods and then are starting to they start to get hacked up by a super strong mutant character. Uh, a, a horror host named Whitey Gleason summed it up perfectly when he showed this on his show once in around 1986, starring no one you've ever heard of, even if you're related to them. That's the kind of forgettable movie The Prey is. Now, modern superstars start in slasher movies that they don't want remembered. Like I brought up with George Clooney in Return to Horror High, how about Cutting Class with Brad Pitt? I know you know this one, Cecil. Oh, yeah, I'm well aware of this one. I actually get a lot of requests for this one. Yeah, Brad Pitt, from what I gather, though, unlike some actors where they try to... He didn't half-ass it, from what I can tell. No, he didn't half-ass it. And the thing, one of the reasons why I never really shit on Brad Pitt is because while I don't like some of his movies, he never really seems to deny his past. Like, he never outright, oh, God, you know, no, I didn't star in that movie. No, that wasn't me. When it's like, oh, yeah, it kind of was. You know, I so. wonder if you brought up a VHS of his Freddy's Nightmares to him and asked him to autograph it if he'd just punch you. He, I think he... You know what, dude? He he's going home. He's banging Angelina Jolie. I think he would laugh and sign it, and you know, and then go home and and jump on a giant pile of money. Because cutting class, obviously, when I saw this, I didn't know who this Brad Pitt person was. I remember watching this the night it debuted on cable, HBO most likely, and just thought, this is an all right slash movie. It's not very good. It's just all right. It's not awful. It's it, it does have the if I'm remembering it correctly. The sticking the sharp object up through the trampoline to impale the the cheerleader, and I do I do remember that, and I do remember Brad Pitt, I do remember Martin Mull for some reason. Well, do you guys remember another weird British canon slasher film, House of Long Shadows? No, can't say that that one rings a bell. Okay, no. this is a, this is a canon film. It's a slasher movie starring Vincent Price, Peter Cushing. And Christopher Lee. So it's Hammer. No, it's canon. With with Lee and Cushing? And Vincent Price. And it kind of has an April Fool's Day ending, but it kind of doesn't. It's, it's one of those, none of the kills actually happened. They were all set up as part of a story the author was writing at the beginning of the film. But it doesn't feel cheap because there are little hints throughout the movie that what you're watching is what he's writing. House of Long Shadows, I think, is another overlooked slasher, though. And Canon didn't do very many of those, so Canon classic horror slasher is one that really does need to be checked out. I uh, I got one for you. Uh, have you ever seen Twisted? Because we're talking about movies with uh, stars. Uh, that Actually, this is one where the star denies being in it. Christian Slater plays a drooling psychopath in the movie. Uh, it was actually filmed before he became famous, and what it kind of set. Uh, well, it's I don't know exactly when it was filmed. It was released in '86, but um, a lot of what I've heard was that it was filmed in '84, 
And then after uh, he did, he still Billie would have Jean. done Tales from the Dark Side at that point. So it's not like he would have been turning his back on the horror genre. Oh yeah, but I mean, it's TV. But what I'm saying is that it it was set like it was made, and then it kind of sat around for a while. And then once he like blew up, then they released it. And there was an interview. Uh, I don't remember for what movie, but somebody like brought it up, and he's like, "No, no, that wasn't me. That wasn't me." And it's like. You know, he it's it's the one movie where it's been brought up a few times and he just like denies it. And it's not a bad movie. It's just for whatever reason, I think he looks at himself as ridiculous because I think the drooling part is what really kind of gets him because he does like the eh, eh, and it's it, it does go a little bit over the top. But eh. well, like another one, you've got you've got future porn star Ashlyn Gear still under her real name of Kimmy McCammy in Evil Laugh, which I have to say is one of the most boring slasher films I've ever sat through. It's not bad in the fact that it's poorly made, poorly acted, with poor effects. It's just dull. I was I was so like, oh my god, I get to see Ashlyn Gear, you know, in her in her film debut, even before she was a porn star. This film is just dull. I've seen shot on video films that that took more time to actually make you feel like you were watching a movie. This film is plotting. That to me is the worst crime that one of these forgettable slashers commits and it that it made itself forgettable. All right, so to wrap up on forgotten slashers. Obviously there's way too many for us to have even just name-dropped all of them. What I want to hear from the audience is, what's your favorite forgotten slasher? It can be one that we've brought up, can be one that we've forgot, can be one we've never heard of. So, your final thoughts on forgotten slashers, Alex? I think, you know, if you want to watch one, watch one. I mean, there's plenty out there to pick from, but don't expect brilliance with every single one of them because the vast majority are forgotten for a reason there are some that have found new love lately like we didn't even bring up the burning that's a great one well the burning is relatively mainstream that one's usually brought up i don't consider the burning to be a forgotten slasher so i specifically left that off my list yeah things like that there are some that are getting back into you know people are rediscovering it but there's some like evil laugh which will always remain forgotten and for good reason. Well, sometimes you go out looking for, you know, ah, I want to watch a slasher. I want to watch something that uh, I've never heard of, or, or you just kind of stumble upon these movies. And, you know, a lot of times you'll find some crap, but occasionally you'll find just a gem like home sweet home with freaking the killer is body by Jake. And he does. And it's and technically El- Thanksgiving. And it's Thanksgiving, so it's a Thanksgiving slasher. And he elbow drops a dude under the hood of his car. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a in a slasher film. I I, I howled with laughter just watching that. And so, and then you know you have a, a mistake. The the one character named Mistake who's running around in kiss makeup and he's playing the guitar and he keeps walking in on people having sex on purpose. It's such a bizarre movie, and it's freaking hilarious. And most people would find it terrible, but I have a feeling, you know, <laughs> our audience probably would be like, what's this movie? I have to go watch it immediately. So. I'm going to make my, my Kickstarter for a slasher movie called Martin Luther Kill Day. 
Oh, there you go. Although I think uh, you might have a little trouble getting that one past the uh, the legalities. <laughs> Maybe what's going on this month? I could make Columbus Day. There, you know, I am. I'm actually surprised nobody's gotten that one yet. My thoughts are a lot of these films. I don't want to say they deserve to be forgotten. There are some that do. I think a lot of these deserve to be rediscovered. They just got lost in the glut of what the slasher boom was. The slasher boom, for good or bad, hit too big too fast. And that's that allowed a lot of these, these decent slasher films to get knocked by the wayside. I mean, seriously, 11 to 97 in one year. That's more than a boom. That's a glut. Well, and with the internet now you know you can watch any of these movies at any time if you so choose to it's not going to be like that difficult it's not like back in the 80s or if you wanted to see an obscure movie you had to go out and sleuth around for it so to slash alex jowski where would people go well you could sleuth around the internet and find me at geekjuicemedia.com and then cecil perpetual victim trachtenberg can be found at uh i will be cutting class at uh, goodbadflicks.com and geekjuicemedia.com. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com and contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Thank you, guys, and have a good night. Don't forget about these slashers, because next week there's some pain coming, and I mean that for us. Not as much pain as some of those forgotten slashers, though.
Radio Drome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.